This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. It's so good to be with you. Um, we, me and Andre met in Stellenbosch. Uh, I started there. He was then working for the church, I think. Yes. Um, and um, we've just been, um, it's just been amazing to see what God is doing here and through their lives and being a part of it. He went, came to minister there in Paul Wellington last year where, where we were uh, ministering in the church, or part of the, the leadership team, and uh, we were just so blessed. A lot of testimonies of healing and deliverance and all that. So it's just been an amazing, amazing time to see what God is doing in and through his life. And in your church, there's a there's lack of people here. Is London is a lack of place. Huh? I've been here from Friday, went to the ocean, had some coffee, breakfast, steak from the, out of the pastor's hand. I mean, I cannot complain. Cannot complain. So it's a, like a place, very English. I'm very Afrikaans, actually. Okay, I'm there from Malmesbury. Okay, it's a small boer town. Um, so if my, I said to the first service, my English might uh, go dry in the second service, but I hope it it, it keeps on. I'm 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 surrounded with missionaries now, um, and all of them speak English. So I need to speak English all the time. At night, I'm like, can we just speak a bit of Afrikaans or something? Um, but we're having a great time in Potsdam. Like Andre said, uh, we're being trained to um, just do missions. And I know church do missions. We've done missions. I've been on many missions trips. Um, but I really believe God is doing something special there. There's people from all over the world coming to Potsdam of all beautiful places um, to receive something that God wants to do and believe that there's God something God wants to do in South Africa with regards to the young people. And so we're on that train. We believe the same thing, that God wants to um, do something significant in our nation with on, on campuses and in schools. Um, maybe we can just do this. Who of you had an encounter with Jesus before the age of 18? Any encounter? Okay, so just look around the room. So I, I think it's my mandate from heaven to ask churches, would you guys just shift some of your missional focus to the schools in your town? Um, because statistics say everyone following Jesus in their 30s and 40s, um, 87% of them made the choice before the age of 17, which is amazing. So it's a harvest field and we can choose what we believe about them. I know the media say that they're rebellious and screen agers and they are confused and all of that, but I really believe God's report about them is that they're zealous, that they bend towards the gospel, they will go wherever, do whatever. Um, I've seen God touch them in a way that in the last 18 years, we've, we've worked with young people, the, the way they respond now is different. And I believe God is doing something in, in this generation. I know I'm not in the generation, so I know normally when we say stuff like that, the older people are offended, like God's still doing stuff. I know he does stuff in every generation. I just know that when you're under 17 or 25, you need someone to tell you, hey, about Jesus, tell you what to think, what to believe, how to surround yourself with, with friends. Um, and so that's, that's what we're really, really passionate about. We believe that 
even from the Western Cape, God will send missionaries throughout the earth, um, not only in South Africa, and we will receive them as well. So really excited about that. When we were in Potsdam um, and COVID hit, I was hearing and reading all these reports of who the next Antichrist is and who's what in his forehead, and I became irritated. Okay, that's my confession. Um, and I still don't know if it was the Lord's boldness over me or my own stupidity, but I made a decision to say in front of the church online, um, we are going to preach through the book of Revelations because everyone that's got any conspiracy said that they read it in the book of Revelations. And I don't know what this book is really all about, and I want to study it. So my dear, lovely church back then had to sit through 12 weeks of the book of Revelation. Um, and we, did, we talk about everything in the book, from the beasts coming out of the sea, drinking the blood of the saints, to the chip in the forehead, to the 144,000, everything, everything, everything. And I can truly say that this book, which I didn't understand, was very intimidated by, has changed my life forever. There's beautiful revelations of who Jesus is inside of this book that I want to share with you just one part of it this morning. And I believe uh, it's, it's going to bless us. Okay, so I'm going to read out of Revelation chapter 5. Um, how do we do on time in this service? It's just go to 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock. They don't have anything in the oven. I don't care. Okay. They can bride tonight. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. All the new visitors are pressing the person that brought them and saying, you said it's not going to be that long. Um, <laughs> we won't be that long. Don't worry. Um, like with any other book, you need to understand why this book was written and to whom it was written. Now, we, we sometimes treat the book, so just, just, just allow me to nerd out on you a bit, okay? Um, theological nerd, okay? I'm, I'm not really a theological nerd, uh, but, but it, we need to paint the context here. We need to tell you where this is coming from, because if you understand it, it's just more powerful. Okay, we treat sometimes this book as a separate book, like it was written for only an audience of 2000 years um, in the future, which which it does mean something to us, but it wasn't primarily written to us. There was a group of people that received this, that it was encouragement for and it was um, absolutely sweet words of Jesus himself to them. They needed it. And so that's why this book is written. So. This book is written to seven churches. In chapter 2 and 3, um, there's seven churches. Now, there's a lot of theories about this book. It wasn't hypothetical churches. Okay, It wasn't end-time churches. It was groups of believers in these towns that this book was written to. Um, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Why the order? It's not in order of importance or size. It was how you would walk to deliver a letter. Okay? So you started with Ephesus and then you, you go like this. This is modern day Turkey. Um, I think they call it Klein Asia, Little Asia. Okay, back then. But this is modern day Turkey. These towns were in modern day Turkey. Turkey. Um, there's some of the descriptions about the, the lukewarmness. 
that all of us have heard in church. Um, I think it's, it's um, to Laodicea, the last church. Um, there's actually warm water, and you can go and look at it. It's, it's got this white, um, sure, I don't know what you, it, it's not cotton, but it's, it's white sort of mountains that makes warm water. And in those days, they had pipes running from there to the town. And so the water would be lukewarm because the pipes got clogged. So we must remember that. So they understood when Jesus said, hey, if you're lukewarm, like the water you're sometimes drinking, I will rebuke you and spit you out of my mouth. The, the, the first audience understood the imagery, the language, the message. It blessed them. It encouraged them. Um, so it was written to these groups of people. They lived in a very difficult time. They lived in the time where there was a Roman governor called Dumishihanes. Okay, say Dumishihanes. Okay, in Porch, because we can't say big English words, we just called him Dumishihanes. <laughs> My wife says I can't make that joke anywhere, so I think I can make it here. Um, I love Dumishihanes, so no, nothing against them, but we called him Dumishihanes. Um and Domitianus was one of those guys that the, the Romans decided to, to, to take him out of their history because he was so evil. He was one of the first guys to ask the nation to worship him as God. So they would get into the Colosseum. They would um, all gather there. And he had this emperor box up there. And when he would enter his box, the rest of the people would stand up. This is this is. This is facts. You can go and read about it. They will stand up and they will bow down and say, Do Mishonis, our Lord and our King. And they would bow. Now, if you're a born-again believer, this is a problem. Because he's not the God and King. So you've got one of two decisions. You can either compromise and do it but not mean it, which Jesus was very spoken. He was very hard on them, those kind of people that compromise in that way. Um, or you could say, I'm, 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 I'm never going to do this and face the persecution. Um, so what he would do is he would really make it difficult for believers. He would have a statue in every town. And if you wanted to work, you had to earn a labellus. That's a certificate, a work certificate. And what you, the requirements was not that you were skilled or have the ability, but that you would go to these statues. There would be an officer you would pledge your allegiance to Dumishihanes, say, Dumishihanes, my Lord and my God, bow to him, take water, sprinkle it on the statue, and then he will see, hey, is it sincere? Yes, it looks sincere. Give you your, your labellus, and then you would be able to work. So if you were a believer back then and you refused to do this, you couldn't work. So it's reported that the believers were on the ash heaps to find food. They were poor um, some of the, the people started a rumor because they knew that this small group of people were sort of coming against, but not coming against, they were just not willing to bow down to Dumishahanas. So, so the rumors started that the Christians are cannibals because they eat the flesh and drink the blood of some man. That's <laughs> uh, funny. Um, they were even said that they, there's incest between them because the brothers and sisters sleep together. So it's this. So, so, so these rumors started, and they were like, we need to get rid of this group of people. So apart from the, the government pressure and the, the authorities that pressed them, 
if you were in a setting like this in any any Sunday morning and you were worshiping, you were a believer back then, you could um, expect a group, a small group of men, a mob come into your home, drag you out of the home, abuse you, rape your wife, kill some of your children, and no one will say anything. So, so you can understand under which pressure the believers were back then, that they needed something. So, the, the Romans were so confused because they weren't willing to bow their knee to Domitianus. They were like, why don't you just work along and then you can work and you can live in peace. They said, but we can't because we, we pledge our allegiance to this man, Jesus. And we can't bow down to anyone else. So they painted pictures. They call it Rico. That's where Rico comes from. They had to use all the re-coffee so that we don't have to drink of the re-coffee anymore. Um, but a Rico was a painting and no, against the wall. And normally these paintings were of women with their children in the middle of the Colosseum, bowing down and worshiping Jesus, refusing to surrender to the pressure of another king saying, you will bow to me. Now, I've got five kids, okay? Pray for me. And I tell you, I mean, on a normal day, just to keep them in line is something. Just think about this. The discussion the mom would have with her kids saying, there's going to be lions coming out of that cage now. We're going to meet Jesus in a few minutes. And we're going to sit and this is going to be a testimony. The lions is going to devour us and then we're going to meet Jesus. That's what they had to do. They had to train their families in this way that this what we have here and what we see here. This is not really, this is not really the end. And so, so there's some of them obviously that in the book of Revelation, there's actually a picture in, in chapter 6 about believers standing around the throne of God saying, Lord, when will you avenge our blood from the inhabitants of the earth? Okay, now in my thought, I would think God will rebuke them because they want vengeance. But they knew because of the holiness of God, the justness of God, he has to react because he cannot let sin go unpunished. And it was an injustice. And we see God respond to this group and saying, I will not yet. And so the rest of the book of Revelation goes about how God pours out his judgment over the earth. So, so this was the... The, this group of believers, they really needed something to live by, some truth. I mean, they, they, they worshiped and sang. They, they heard about the stories of Jesus, but they need some more encouragement. Because if, if you live in circumstances like this, you'll need all the encouragement you can get. Amen? Um, so, so there's something very profound that I want to share with you in this first vision that John writes that encourages them to go to a place where they're willing to die for this man, Jesus. That the rest say, hey, we do not understand what you live by, what you believe. We see it. We paint about it. We speak about it. It's, it's something else, but we don't understand it. And this revelation in chapter 5, this first revelation, is what I believe is, uh, well, this is what theologians write. It's, it's this revelation of who Jesus is that inspired them, that they lived by, that they reminded themselves of over and over again, saying, hey, this is temporary. This suffering is temporary. 
we will meet a man that is described in the book of Revelations that's, that's glorious, that's got fire in his eyes, that's head or like white wool. And I want to do anything on this side of eternity to please him. So John writes the book of Revelation. Now we know John. John is the disciple who writes of himself. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Okay, he knows Jesus. He is the one with his head on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. He's the one that's the only disciple that's there when he's crucified. This the one that looks um, after the mother of Jesus, that takes care of her. Jesus saying, this is your mother, John. John, this is mother, this is your son. He will look after you. Would you look after my mother at the crucifixion? So he heard, even heard all the, all the stories of Jesus in that 13, that, that first part of his life that's not written down. He heard all the stories. Uh, if you eat with someone every single night and the main discussion around the table is usually Jesus, you would want to know what was it like mothering the son of God? I would love to know. Did he throw a tantrum? Obviously not with any sin. How did he, how did everything work? Did he sometimes walk on the water in the pool? Uh, was it just... <laughs> Was it just always milk in the fridge? How did it work? <laughs> um, so he knew, he knew Jesus. He, he knew him the three years and he heard obviously everything about his, his life. But this is his reaction when he sees him in this way. Jesus is portrayed throughout Scripture. It's a progressive revelation as a priest. But he encounters a different side of Jesus. He encounters the returning king. And it shakes him. So much so that he falls to the ground and he wants to die. So, so listen to this, Revelation 1. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Those lampstands are the churches, the seven churches, physical groups of people. Jesus saying, I am the chief of my church. It belongs to me. I will open it. I will close it. No one will take it from me. I believe all over South Africa today, there's churches that Jesus didn't open <laughs> that gather. And then there's churches that he is Lord over. Scary thing to be in a church that he's not. So you guys are safe. I, I believe this church is born of God. Okay. Um, but, but that's happening. We mustn't just think that when something opens or starts, it's Jesus. Okay. He, he breathes life into it. And then he takes care of it. He's in their midst, amongst them. He's amongst us today. He was here healing all of us. And this is the man that we are speaking about that is described in this way. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long rope, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. We will look into these eyes one day. I'm not trying to scare you. This is a reality. You will look into these eyes one day and give an account for your life. I will give an account for my life. Pastor Andre will. The hairs of his head, white like wool, like snow, eyes like fire, his feet like burnished bronze. Whenever God is described in that way, feet with burnished bronze, it means he's there to judge. He's there to judge the flesh. 
Refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. Just close your eyes and think of that. White hair, eyes of fire, sword coming out of the mouth, golden sash around his chest. This is the man that John meets. Listen to what verse 17 says. He knows him. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then Jesus put his right hand on him saying, fear not, I'm the first and the last. The the way in which Jesus portrays himself to John is very important. He portrays himself to him in a certain way. He says, I am the first and the last. He's saying, I have the ultimate authority. Dumas Johannes doesn't have the ultimate authority. I am the one that decides. And then a very powerful thing. He says, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I'm living. I'm not dead. I'm living. I'm moving amongst you. That's what Jesus is saying. And I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. I'm alive forevermore. Just think about we gathering to serve a dead God. He's alive forevermore. That's so good. (laughs) And I have the keys of death and hates. He's saying, people can kill you, but I have the keys to eternity. And I will decide eternity. Don't fear men that can kill your flesh. Fear one who can put you in eternity where you belong. So Jesus is raising the bar, saying, hey, I've got ultimate authority. I'm the returning king. I'm the one that's got the ability to, 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 to decide eternity for you. Don't be fooled. It's amazing. So, so then the letter goes and, and um, he, he writes to the churches. If, if my first response when I studied this was, this is quite hard. These are hard words. When I'm in a situation like that, I would just want the Lord to hold me. <laughs> just to, just, tuma, tuma cheli. Okay, that, that, that would be my approach. And um, the guy that helped us to navigate through this book said the following. He said, the hard words of Jesus brings the most comfort to his church. Don't shy away from them. Truth comforts. Not just fluffy stuff that I paint around your mouth and you're like, oh, you're fine and you this and you that. So some of the hard things that he's saying to these churches, the, the, the first church he says, you've You've walked away from your first love. You actually don't love me anymore. And if you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand. Now listen to me. Jesus will not warn and threaten with something that he's not willing to do. Which is scary. That there is people gathering in churches that the lampstand isn't there anymore. He's left the building. I, I I remember Uncle Angus always saying that would be the most scariest thing. To get on the platform and Holy Spirit saying, I'm not with you anymore. I mean, I would run. I would, I would, I would just say, I would just go into 80-day fast. I don't know. I'll just do whatever is needed. Um, the second church, to Smyrna, he writes, he says, you will be thrown in prison for 10 days. Now, that's not a physical 10 days. It's 
It's, um, it's uh, sub- symbolic. Cypher symbolic is what we call in Afrikaans. It means seven plus three. It's the perfect amount of time and a little bit more. So he's saying to them, you will be in prison. It's not going to end. But he who endures till the end will be saved and receive the crown of life. Keep on till the end. He's not saying I'm going to come in and change your circumstances. I'm going to help you here saying, hey, I want to help you. You need to go to the end. I love you. So some of these things are, are, are hard sayings. And then he starts with the, the uh, chapter 4 with the throne in heaven. He sees the ancient of days with, with uh, beautiful colors that describes his character, his holiness, his glory, his splendor. And um, all the angels around him, living creatures, worshiping, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We say that a lot. Um, and then the 24 elders, why 24? It's not a seat to be contended for. You can't be one of the elders. Okay, it's, it's symbolic of all the saints, 12 from the Old Testament and 12 from the New Testament. It says all the saints from the beginning to the end is around the throne of God. They're worshiping and they're singing over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's happening in heaven right now. That is actually the true reality. Okay, that is, that is true reality of life and what it's all about. And, and God is saying to this group, I see everything. I know everything. I've got full authority and nothing will go unhidden under my eyes. I'm in heaven and I see everything and I've got authority over everything. Which brings comfort to this group. Because if someone is murdering my people and killing me, I would want to know that there's going to be justice. Okay, those who don't believe in justice, put you in a situation like this, you will want justice. Okay. Um, so so that's, that's chapter four. Now chapter five, I'm going to read the whole chapter to you. They say that this is the picture of when Jesus came into heaven after he was crucified. Precious. We, we, we know the story of the crucifixion, that he was beaten beyond recognition, that he was led there to a slaughter. It was murder um, for our sake and on, on our behalf, in our place, a substitute for the wrath of God so that we can have freedom and life, and healing, and deliverance, and, and, and all that. That what we experienced this morning, that's what he paid for. And this picture is the picture of when he arrived in heaven. Okay, listen, listen to this. This is so powerful. I wish I had a projector that would display this scene in heaven every single morning when I wake up. I think I'll be a switched-on believer every single day. <laughs> I'll be like, yes, here we go. This, is, this has happened, and I am living from this place. I'm living from this place. This is, this is the victory of heaven that there's no demon in hell that can harm me. There's no sickness that can stay with me. Uh, I've got full authority with Jesus from this place. I'm actually seated in heaven. That's what scripture says. We are seated in heaven and rule and reign from heavenly places, but we're still on the earth. So, so it's this, this, this weird, we're there, but we're here and we're living from this place. And we sometimes forget that that we've got authority. Uh, we can live in that authority that God has given us. 
Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Him seated is the ancient of days. He's the, it's the father, the one that, that um, is being worshipped. And a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. The seven seals meaning it's sealed perfectly. You cannot open it. There's only one can open it. And this question is what's asked in heaven. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? This is the question being asked. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? And then it goes on to say, no one in heaven, not even angels, not Michael, not Gabriel, no one worthy. Not some of the saints that's died, not some that's been martyred, no one worthy. On the earth, under the earth, in heaven, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Why is it so important to look into it? On that scroll is written the plans of God for humanity. And it's, it's so important for us to be able to see it, to know it. What's God's plan with us? That, that, that God will speak to us. He will reveal to us what's his plan, what's his plan for your life, what's his plan for my life, what's his plan for this church. And, 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 Then it says, and I began to weep loudly because no one found worthy to open the scroll to look into it. John weeps. Now, listen, John saw ferocious things. He saw a beast coming out of the the sea with a naked lady on it, drinking the blood of the saints. He didn't cry. This is the only time he cries. He weeps. He's like, we need to see what God has planned for humanity on the earth. We need to see it. And he weeps. And then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So I see this picture in my mind of David, of of John on the ground crying. And then this elder touching and saying, it's fine. It's fine. You can stop crying. The lion of the tribe of Judah is here and he is worthy to open the scroll. The only one. And, and, and then John looks up and what does he see? Okay, if you describe someone as the lion of the tribe of Judah, it's, it's the most powerful being, a lion. Okay, it's the king of the jungle. It's like, that's what I'm going to see. What does he see? And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing it's as though it had been slain. With seven horns, meaning full authority. With seven eyes, he sees everything. Nothing goes unpunished. Nothing goes by him. And which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. I grew up on a farm. A lamb is one of the most powerless beings. It's, it's weak. And it's almost this picture saying that, the, that God in his might... To do what was necessary, he, he became a lamb. He became weak. He became the thing that's carried around, that's had to be taken care of for us. He could have been the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he chose to be the lamb. He could have roared and thundered. And Jesus could, when they teased him on the cross, he could just call the legions of angels and say, wipe this, just open the earth and take them. He didn't. So the power of God is is displayed in a meek and gentle way, which is beautiful. 
the Lamb of God. The first time we, we did this, the guy that explained this to us, he, the, the moment he spoke about the Lamb, he started to cry. This, this, this picture of the Lamb is continually just feeding him, that Jesus became the Lamb of God. He became sin for us in our place, on our behalf. Um, but he had the strength of the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he chose. That's powerful. It's powerful. If we remember that, that he chose that for us, it will give us confidence to live. Confidence to handle difficult situations. Then he went to took the scroll. So now he takes the scroll. Doesn't fight the ancient of days for it. Doesn't, there's no wrestling match. He gives it, takes it. He's worthy. The worthy one. Um, from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures which is eyes back and front, scary animals, don't want to see them in the the night. 24 elders, Old and New Testament, fell down before the Lamb. This is the centerpiece of heaven, the slain Lamb of God. This is what heaven is all about. It's the worship unto the Lamb. Each holding a harp, which is worship, golden bowls of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. So if you think your prayers are powerless, it's coming before the throne of God. It's a sweet incense, a sweet fragrance to him. He wants to answer them. We spend every morning 90 minutes in a prayer room where we pray for Nigeria, Somaliland. We pray for Gen Z. We pray for everything. And some mornings I'm tempted. I'm like, we're wasting our time. We need to go and do it. And then I'm just reminded of this verse. It's, it, it comes before the throne of God and God acts from heaven. And he... he he speaks from heaven and he declares things from heaven and he moves things from heaven. So prayer is super important. Okay, don't think that you're wasting your time. It's super important for the agenda and the plan of God on the earth. We need to partner with him in that way. And then they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain by your blood, your ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That is why racism makes no sense in the kingdom of God. You will one day encounter people from every tribe and tongue. And I think there's some, I hope they get in, but they're going to have the fright of their life. So like all these different kinds of people in heaven. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. It's a plan of the enemy to divide us. And so, so Jesus is saying from every tribe, he works in every country, in every town. He's working in Potsdam. He's working in Tilbach. Can you believe it? He's, he's working in Australia. And something that's liberated me this last few months is that I become aware that my, my, my work is very small. What I'm set out to do, it's very small in the bigger scheme of things. We had a couple from Somaliland in the prayer room. The missionaries there, they've been there for 10 years. They say there's not more than 80 believers in the whole of Somaliland. There's, there's millions of people. So they cannot find any believers there. They say there's more people in this room. That's in, that's, that, that more, there's more in this room than believers in the whole of Somaliland. And so they said, would you consider to come? So, so sometimes praying for the nations, it, it lifts our eyes. Saying, hey, this is... What God is doing in East London is super important. What he's doing in this church is super important. 
but he's also working in the nations. He's also doing something, and we can partner with that. If you don't, don't go, just pray. And then go. Um, sometimes. In your holidays. In, on missions. Um, verse 11. And then I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures, the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, in the sea, all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, and to the bless, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. The scripture is saying that whole of universe is turning around the Lamb. Everything. On the earth, under the earth, in the sea, in heaven, everything is centered around the Lamb of God seated on the throne. And you know what the responsibility and privilege is for us? Is to fashion our life around the throne of God and around the Lamb sitting on the throne. That's the truth of the book of Revelation that's applicable to us. You can do the same. I can do the same. And not just an invitation. It's sort of a, it sort of have to be that way. Because the, the rebukes to the churches in the book of Revelation was, guys, you're one of the church allowed people in the church with, with um, believing weird things. And so they said, you, sh- you can't allow that to be preached. So it's, it's, it's like, do you fear man or do you fear me? Some of them listened to, um, to people that called themselves apostles and prophets that were not. And so Jesus said, I want you to stop listening to them. So, so it, it's, it, it goes into, my point is, it goes into every sphere of your life. It's, it's not just something we, we gaze at and we sing about and we think, oh, wow. It, it's got an implication. You understand what I'm saying? It, it's, there's a repercussion for this. This truth that Jesus the Lamb is in the center of the universe it means something for me. It meant something for them. It meant that everything is not about how these people are treating me. That my hope is the fact that the lamb is still on the throne and he was slain for me and I will live from that place. And not from fear, being afraid of when will these mobs come into my home? When will they slaughter me? Or, or when will we run out of food or all these things? But I'm living from victory from that place saying, hey, if you do that, it's going to be very uncomfortable. And I might die. But then I'm meeting this man. That's the returning king. And he determines all eternity. You don't have any power. on. That's a powerful person that lives in this way. You don't, determine, you don't determine where I go. You don't determine actually what I do. You've got no power over me. Our circumstances, guys, it, it can have no power over us. The thing that you're trusting for, that you're fighting for, it shouldn't steal your joy. If you're fixed on this this mindset of Jesus, I'm living from this place. That's why I want the projector in my room every morning. So I'm living from this place. Like all of this, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing reality. I'm not putting my head in the ground like an ostrich and saying, no, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't. I know it hurts. I know it's got an effect on us. But if we live from that place, we will never be hopeless, never be in unbelief, never be in fear. We will know that he is in control. And it's this truth that set this community apart. That they had Ricos against the wall. 
the band, you guys can come up. That Rico's against the wall saying, we don't understand you. We don't know why you just don't bow to Dumashans. It's because they said, we're bowing to this king. He's got nothing on us. It's powerful. He's got nothing on us. So my, my invitation to us this morning is, will you submit to the leadership of Jesus? And not just once, not just in salvation, not just in knowing that he's the leader, but in everything, everything. I'm not saying stand in front of the, the, in the grocery and say, Jesus, do you want me to have a bar one or a lunch bar? You are king of everything. I'm just saying, follow his lead. Follow his lead. He's the perfect leader. He will lead you into suffering. He will. He will lead you into glorious freedom. He will lead you into, into the fullness of life itself. Um, um, this, is, the, this message is good news. Okay, I'm, I'm in a great mood. This is very good news. This is, this is such good news that we have the privilege to follow the one, the ultimate shepherd that will lead us beside um, waters of life, green pastures where we can lay down. That is truth. In it, life will happen. Life will happen. But we can follow his leadership. And, and in following his leadership, he's also the one that will heal us, that will restore us which is the best news, will cleanse us of all our sin and all our unrighteousness. It's the same Christ that will prepare a place for us in eternity. We have that privilege because one day, and this is not a threat, this is a reality. I want to stand in front of him with that eyes of fire, white hair, and I want to say, I have done it all. Everything you asked, Lord, I did everything. I don't want to hide away, be ashamed. I don't know what to say when I get to that place. I want him to say, well done, Gilly. You've made every hard decision that I put in front of you. You've tried to follow me with everything. I see it and it blesses me. And I want, I, I want him to find a church. I believe this is a lot of us in the room's heart. I've just got the mic. Um, but we want church in South Africa, believers, that the Lord is saying, my eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth. Have you seen those churches, those group of people in South Africa, they fully abandoned to me, fully surrendered, fully committed? Wouldn't that be a great report? Wouldn't that bring glory to his name? Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.